Hello, hello, and welcome back to Art House Garage, the snob-free film podcast where we make art house, indie, classic, and foreign cinema accessible to the masses. I'm your host, Andrew Sweatman, and today on the show, we've got a discussion of Suzume, the latest film from anime director Makoto Shinkai, who also gave us the films Your Name and Weathering With You. Joining me is filmmaker, documentarian, photographer, and my childhood best friend, Dyer Bentz. Stick around. Welcome to Art House Garage. If you're tuned into the world of anime at all, then you probably know the name Makoto Shinkai, or you at least know his work. His film, Your Name, was hugely popular when it came out in 2016, and the 2019 follow-up, Weathering With You, was enormously successful as well. People have called Shinkai the new Miyazaki, a label that he has said he's uncomfortable with, despite loving Miyazaki's work himself. In any case, the animation in Shinkai's films is absolutely breathtaking, with stories full of romance, mystery, and thrills, and generally some element of the supernatural. Suzume is no different, though it does stand apart from his other work in a few ways, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Joining me today is Dyer Bentz. Dyer is a filmmaker and photographer, and he also happens to be my best friend from childhood. From the first day of kindergarten till about second or third grade, me and Dyer were basically inseparable until my family moved away and we lost touch for many years. Thanks to the internet, we reconnected a few years back, and amazingly, we still have a lot in common, including a love of movies. Dyer also is a big fan of anime and spent some time living in Japan, so I was thrilled when he said he'd join for this episode. And we did have a wonderful conversation, which you're about to hear. Dyer also fills us in on the latest with his documentary series called Petal South. So, without further ado, here is my conversation with Dyer Bentz about Suzume. Hey, got a sec? I'm looking for ruins, specifically a door. A door? Just like he said. Impossible! There's no way! Why? You need to close this door, right? Gates open in lonely places where no human hearts remain. And from those gates... Suzume? Disaster comes. Hi there. You're in the way. Goodbye. What the hell is going on? Where are you going? No, 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 no! No, 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 wait! It's not safe for you to tag along. Maybe you should be worrying more about yourself. What? You came looking for a cat all the way from Kyushu? People will die. A whole lot of them. Sota! Wait! (gasps) All right, then. I need you to lock the door. You were right. I can't do it. (laughs) As I feared, Sota failed, didn't he? That much at least should frighten you. A world without Sota terrifies me. I could never forget. I promise, I'll come save you. The guy's got life of his own to worry about. I get the feeling that whatever you're doing, it's super important. I return them to you! I return them to you! I'll see you. I'll see you. <laughs> 
you. Welcome back to the podcast, Dyer Benz. How are you today? I'm so good. Happy to be here. Good to see you. Yeah, you too. So uh, we talked about this last time, but Dyer is a filmmaker, documentarian, big anime fan, also my childhood best friend. Like we, we were uh, inseparable as kids and then I moved away. And so it's always fun to reconnect. And uh, yeah, it's, it's funny that we said this last time you're we on the show, but we both ended up kind of going into film worlds with different things and having some interesting uh, similarities in, in taste and stuff. So anyway, always a pleasure to have you on the show and uh, excited to have you back. Yeah, definitely. So excited to be here and talk with you. I think I was thinking back through my kind of history of my fandom of animation. And I know that you and I got down on some Wallace and Gromit, uh, <laughs> yes, Nightmare right. Before Christmas, early stop uh -huh. motion stuff that just mesmerized yeah. me. And I didn't even know what was going on, how they were doing that, but um, I was into <laughs> it. And so, yeah, it's it's so funny, the things we were into as kids and our interests kind of coalescing and reuniting later in life. Super cool. Yeah, absolutely. I have something else along those lines I'll bring up in a minute. But um, first, I want to hear about your film project. So we talked about it last time briefly. You had, I can't I think you had wrapped, obviously you'd wrapped, but you were like in the process of editing your documentary project. Remind listeners what it's about and what the latest is with it. Definitely. Yes. Um, this project is called Pedal South. Uh, pedal like a bike pedal and south like you're heading south and that's what we did basically this was a documentary cycling project in which myself and three other friends all filmmakers one photographer filmmaker uh, a couple of filmmakers and myself doing the writing and audio and some shooting too we basically biked from alaska to argentina carrying all our film gear, filming the whole way, interviewing people that we met, as well as our journey. So it's a very much a travel doc, um, very intimate, very uh, sharing the cultures and the people. And yeah, and it's something I'm really proud of and we're really excited about. And the status now is that we had uh, 1,400 hours of footage at the end of it. This project took almost two years to complete. So, so much footage that it was obviously more than a feature film length and so we finally went all in on the decision to do a documentary series and we've got uh, about 20 rough episodes anywhere from 40 to 55 minutes each um, wow. some a little shorter than that still working out we're doing all the vo right now recording the voiceovers and putting it over the footage um We've got some good partners. We're partnered with a production company in Mexico City, as well as one on the U.S. side who are helping us kind of progress this. But it's been a, a really difficult process, uh, basically doing the post-production with no budget. And we're just going mm -hmm. through that thing that you hear so many filmmakers talking about, that phase of their life where they put everything they have into that first thing. And, you know, we've gotten some... Uh, feedback from people like, oh, you're making your first film? Took me 10 years. Big deal. Like, it's not a, it's how it is. So we're, we're navigating those muddy waters, but it is really exciting because it looks awesome. Yeah, it does. So yeah, you had shared uh, like 10 minutes or something with me previously and it looks amazing. And, and I love the, yeah, the focus on people you're meeting along the way and all of that. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited for Pedal South to, 
see the light of day, hopefully sooner rather than later. But, but yeah, I know it's a process, but cool. Well, thanks for filling us in on that. Um, just before we talk about Suzume, I sometimes like to ask my guests what else they've been watching lately. So what have you been watching lately? Any film or TV stuff? Yeah. Good question. Um, TV, I can't think of too much. I'm a big Dave fan, and that's got a new season out right now. Oh, nice. But I've uh, seen so many good films. I have a really nice little projector set up and good speakers in my place, and um, just finally got around to watching Women Talking, and I know that was oh, yeah, one yeah. you did and discussed on here and loved. And yeah. Wow, really that was incredible. That. Man. Um, yeah, recommend to anyone. Uh, I have like never had a David Cronenberg phase. And so, Mm. but I have so many friends who worship him and uh, really speak highly about all this stuff. I watched Videodrome for the first time. I don't know if you've seen this, Andrew. I have only seen two or three Cronenbergs, but that's one of them, yeah. That's one of them. Man, I don't know if it's my bag. It was disturbing. It, (laughs) It kind of put me off, but it was certainly unique. And I think like as a group theater experience, it would have been awesome, but... My partner fell asleep with me while we were watching it. So I was totally alone (laughs) at night and it was way too real. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's Uh, last thing. Last thing I've been watching. uh, I finally got around to watching hearts of darkness, which is the documentary Mm, about the making of apocalypse. Now highly recommend. I mean that apocalypse now is just that one of those movies I've always felt like could not be made today. Like uh, the era Mm -hmm. is over that movies like that will be made. And it just, for so many reasons and and um this documentary proved that times a million it was amazing to nice. see it's a, an incredible film itself yeah what about yourself yeah yeah i've heard you know some of the details of hearts of darkness but i've never i've never watched it i need to i think i have it i think it's in the special features of the edition i have of apocalypse now i just haven't watched it but myself uh on the tv side been re-watching veep have you ever seen veep before I've only seen the first season and yeah, it's yeah. awesome. She's so cool. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, it's kind of an acquired taste, I guess, but uh, you know, now that my wife, especially now that she works in kind of political world, it's like extra funny to, to watch through that. So that's the funny show we've been watching. Um, but on the film side, a couple of things. One, uh, this is an old movie that I, I like bought a used used criterion copy of the DVD. Um, I don't think it ever made it to Blu-ray. It's called the flowers of St. Francis. And I watched it kind of because of Easter. It was like, Oh, watch something kind of religious in nature. And I really liked it. It's um, it's a quiet mm. film from the fifties, Italian film. Um, uh, Rossellini is the director and uh, nice. it's more about, it's like, I, I have, you know, complicated, relationship with organized religion but saint francis is a figure i've always really uh liked and um so it's it's interesting looking at actually mostly a couple of his followers and he had like disciples you know and they lived in this area and and actually rosalini cast all these actual monks in the part so it's really an interesting little document it's a nice quiet film and um yeah it's a good little easter easter watch uh that sounds great. so that's that one and then on the total other end of the spectrum, <laughs> I watched the Mario Brothers movie, which hey. uh, actually really enjoyed. And, and you know, it's, you know, I guess the critical response is kind of mixed on it. And uh, I completely see why, you know, we're not getting the Pixar level emotional, you know, arcs and all of that, but so much fun, took the kids with me. And 
and also because, and this is the thing I was going to mention about our childhood, there's the, all the nostalgia mm-hmm. with that. And I was like, oh man, I remember playing Mario 64. And I was like, I'm going to be talking to Dyer soon. Perfect. Because we yeah. many hours of that together. Uh, but it's just been this funny thing in the last, I don't know, like in college, I kind of like stopped playing video games. I was too busy, whatever. And then for many years was low key, a little judgmental about like people who are playing games all the time, like do something more productive <laughs> with, your, with your life. But then like a couple of years ago, I think it was like Brene Brown or someone who said like the importance of having something in your life that's just for fun and it's not productive at all. Mm-hmm. Cause like movies is that for me, but it's also like kind of like work. So like it, it, there's a level of, um, you know, mental work there, but so I just started playing a couple of games on my phone and I'm like, it's really ramped up and I'm like deep into Zelda back again. In like I'm mode. doing oh, all dude. kinds of things. Yeah. Back in game. Well, mode. I got some playing Mario with my kids. <laughs> yeah, cool. absolutely. Can't wait to hear that. Um, I have but, uh, one of one yeah. of my very best be- best buddies has two kids who are like uh, around nine, four and nine, and they play mm-hmm. Switch with him all the time. And it is yeah. such a beautiful thing to watch. Then, so yeah, that's that could be really <laughs> yeah. cool. Yeah, it's really become a fun thing. We got a Switch for Christmas this year, and I played through. Because uh, everyone told me Zelda: Breath of the Wild, you got to play it. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, some of the Japanese culture stuff that I've kind of been immersed in with that i think applies mm-hmm. to the movie today so maybe that'll come up but anyway for all those reasons really excited about the mario movie really enjoyed it and uh yeah i, I thought the music was so fun and uh, all those little references were were great and yeah there you go i really liked the mario movie. i should have i should have mentioned it i saw it too i had a great i had <laughs> nice. a great time yeah it was awesome <laughs> i uh and i went into it i'm pretty critical of anything you know of of Nintendo becoming this Marvel universe that really frightens mm-hmm. me. The thought of like nothing yeah. is sacred and there will be a Yoshi origin story and I will go see it. I love Yoshi. You know yeah. what I mean? So, uh, I had against my better judgment. I had an awesome time and my only, yeah. um, hubbub was the star. Oh, maybe this is a spoiler, but all right. The instance in the film in which a star was used a superstar, uh-huh. You always, the thing with Mario is you know the star's about to run out. You're like stressing because it's about to run out. And it yeah. didn't. They didn't yeah. use that gag. And that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that would have been a nice, awesome. a nice touch. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it has a lot of those kinds of things, like, you know, the importance of yeah. persistence when you're playing the same thing over and over and finally win mm-hmm. and whatever. But yeah, that would have been a nice, a nice touch. But yeah, I, I felt the same thing though, like, because it seems like Nintendo and illumination or i'm I'm hoping my hope is that like when they go to these other properties because it feels like there will be a kirby movie there will be a zelda movie maybe not illumination for all of those it's my is my fingers crossed thing like maybe zelda doesn't need to have an illumination film maybe it needs to be like mm-hmm. uh, I, I mean studio ghibli would be the dream i don't know that probably will never happen but i did think about like cartoon saloon i think would be really cool who made wolf walkers and stuff um mm. oh, anyway yeah just my just my fan casting for what studio should make a Zelda movie, but probably they should never make Absolutely. a Zelda movie, whatever. Anywho, I guess we can move on from that, but, uh, um, cool. been, yeah, I've been very much in game world here lately, but all right, well, let's talk about Suzume. So before we talk about the actual film, uh, so this is an anime film. If anyone isn't aware of that, um, I'm curious what your relationship is with anime in general and kind of with Japanese culture. I, I feel like my answer is five seconds here. I've seen like 10 or 15 anime movies, really like them. I'm kind of dipping my toes more and more into it, but I'm not an expert by any means. But tell us uh, hmm. your relationship there. 
Okay, for sure. Um, I wouldn't consider myself an expert either. I know if I said that, people would just slaughter me. Um, and that uh, <laughs> my, but I feel like I do have a very expansive experience with Ghibli specifically, and and a lot of mm-hmm. other directors. But but you know, when you asked me to do this this film, I beforehand was like, I guess I'm qualified. I don't know. Um, and I'll go into my background in Japan a bit, but. Um, it ended up being like I was just noticing reference, 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 and homage, homage, homage to not just uh, Ghibli stuff, but other, you know, to Murakami, Jap- this, the most famous Japanese writer, modern day, um, as well as a lot of stuff. So, but real quick, I will go into my background. Like I said, you and I both were just enamored by Wallace and Gromit for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Nightmare Before Christmas. I'm trying to think of what other. I was trying to think of the animated movies outside of the Disney realm because I'm sure we enjoyed. Yeah, because we watch but, a lot of Disney ones. You know, and yeah, I, I like the Great the Mouse Detective. That's yeah, one of my yeah. favorites um, in that universe. But yeah, all the stop motion stuff just really like before I even knew what was going on with stop motion, and how it worked. I was like mesmerized by it. I just loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, and also Monty Python animations was one of my gateways mm-hmm. into that world. Um, they're so funny and interesting, little 2D cutout. Yeah. And, and um, so I got into it, started doing kind of self-taught stuff in college. Um, and then uh, my roommate, who was also just addicted to animation, we started a little class teaching animation to kids, a summer camp thing for a few nice. years. Okay. Um, it was really cool teaching them top-down 2D stuff like Monty Python style as well as claymation as well as whatever and yeah it was great so I got really immersed in that world for a long time and then somewhere around there um, and I'm pretty confident this was through a Netflix DVD uh, rental in the mail I got my first Ghibli and it was either Howl's Moving Castle or or Spirited Away but Whichever one it was, I just instantly started consuming every single one. I saw every one there was within a matter of months. Um, it just, for me, those films were just so different and experimental and fresh. The The story perspectives were just like, it, it was something totally unique to me. And it stood out so differently from all Western animation I had grown up with. And so... Yeah it just really got me excited and it got me um, honestly super interested in Japan and the culture. And I think I started having these thoughts as I started to notice the common threads among the Ghibli films. I just started wondering like, are these differences in storytelling? Are they um, results of the culture being what it is? Or is this just like one brilliant mind who is affecting the culture by putting these brilliant things into it? Right. And so I was really always fascinated by that question and had the opportunity right after college to, um, I applied, I just wanted to go live there. And I was like, man, I could do it now. And I got accepted into this teacher program. So basically I lived in Japan, kind of Northeast of Tokyo for, uh, just one year before my next documentary project and it was an incredible experience and I just really loved it and I got to really explore that question of like this is the storytelling unique aspects are they present in the culture or or not Mm -hmm. or are they born of it whatever I asked my kids all these questions and one example would be like I asked the kids, who's their favorite Ghibli character in, in as an English exercise? And the highest response 
of all of them, you know, and I expected like in America, you'd say kids would say Simba or, you know, whatever main character, Wally. Um, But there, no face, the, uh, you know, no face from Spirited Away Mm -hmm. was the number one answer. And that to me is such an indication. Yeah, Yeah, Totoro, sure. Any, but he's like a a side character. He's a little funny thing. And, and to me, that is one sign of just anime and how different they are that I love is the attention to world building, to character building outside of the main character, mm-hmm. outside of the protagonist. There is no antagonist, um, all these things. And so, yeah, I really just had such a good experience. Um, and yeah, and so love the culture, felt very at home there. I have such a trust for the psyche the general psyche of the culture Mm. of japan and um you know this ropes us into today i lived pretty near um to the basically i lived south not too far from where the tohoku earthquake took place back in 2011 that is the basis for the events in suzume yeah, so I, I said this before we started recording, but I had forgotten that you lived in Japan at all. So I was like, oh, this is actually a much more perfect fit than I even thought. But I love what you said about watching those Ghibli films and feeling like, why is this so different? Because I, I feel like I had this exact same question. I, I think the first one I ever saw was Ponyo, actually, um, and because I think it was new. Like it had just come out and I rented the DVD. Uh, speaking of Netflix DVDs, I think that just ended like today, yesterday. Yeah, you're right. I just saw that. Well, you're right. <laughs> yeah. so I had no clue they were still doing era. it. Yeah, totally. I have. I know a few people that do it, but I guess they're gonna have to figure something else out. Anyway, I watched Ponyo, and I just had the same feeling like a Western storyteller would never come at this kind of a story from this angle, and like it feels so different, and like initially it just feels so foreign and so weird, but then it's like also fascinating and. Um, yeah, so very similar question that I, I feel like I've been asking about animated things and, and Ghibli films in particular. Um, but well, yeah, so let I guess to recap, yeah, I've seen like, I haven't seen all the Ghibli films. I've seen like five or six. And then um, I've seen uh, Makoto Shinkai's most recent three, um, which was kind of funny because I, I heard about your name when it came out, but I never watched it until like a few months ago, like two or three months ago. Um, but I liked weathering with you so much. And when that came out, I knew it was the same director and I went and saw that because it was it played in the theater here for like a week and really loved it. Uh, ended up buying a copy of it. And then I ended up buying your name sight unseen. And <laughs> that was a good decision. Um, so really love both of those. That's all I've seen of his films. Um, but yeah, how do you feel about um, Makoto Shinkai and his, his previous work? Absolutely. Um, I, and I will give my kind of background of how I came to your name, which is that um, people, you know, had been calling um, Shinkai the next Miyazaki, like even from early in his career. And I think he, and I read a quote that he was quite flattered by that, but also really wanted to subvert it and become his own thing. You know what I mean? Um, But for me, the, and it was ultimately the tie to, uh, Spirited Away. So Spirited Away, and this is another just to me indicator of the differences of of the West, general West, United States, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, the culture versus Japan. Um, the, you know, when I first heard about Spirited Away, it, it won Best Animated Film in the Oscars. It was the first foreign film to do that. 
um, in 2005. And I heard that it was the highest grossing movie ever in Japan uh, for about mm. 19 years, I think. And that is just mm. amazing. Spirited Away, for the yeah. people who haven't seen it, it's Miyazaki's like, you know, magnum opus. It really is mm. top movies ever, ever for me. It's incredible. It's phenomenal. So it, it just pleased me that the country and the culture so valued it that that was the highest grossing mm. film for such a long period. And yeah. then your name comes along and gives it a run for its money. And that was the first thing I knew about it was, oh, something is challenging Spirited Away and it's an anime and oh it looks beautiful i gotta check this out so i went and saw in theaters immediately and so i went into it with that kind of bar in my head of like can this touch spirited away and i was really pleased to find that it was so unique so beautiful such a wonderful experience i was totally caught up in it transported um yeah i i really loved it and and we can go into Suzume or whatever, but I want to hear, you know, your thoughts on your name too. But just, it had all the magic of a Ghibli movie, but also very tied to the realism of today with the technology used yeah. so well, mm -hmm. with the money, like money issues, which that type of stuff, that skin crawling kind of depressing mm -hmm. real day mm -hmm. modern life stuff is not something you encounter in Ghibli. So yeah, I just and the music, of course, the romance. I was, I was blown away. I I thought it was such a good time. <laughs> Loved it. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. It, it is. It's. It feels very modern in a way that the Ghibli movies don't. I mean, not that either is you know better, uh, because I, I, I think like Makoto Shinkai could never make um, you know Princess Mononoke. You know, that, that's such a different type of thing. But yeah, there is you definitely feel some kinship there but uh yeah i absolutely love the music which also is feels very modern and uh i want to talk about the music in this one in suzume and kind of the trajectory because i read a little bit about um i can't remember the the lead singer's name but from the band rad wimps is the rad wimps the, uh -huh. yeah and and ever since i saw weathering with you i've listened to i mean i listened to that soundtrack endlessly and then mm -hmm. uh added on your name once i watched that as well and i love the music in this new one as well but um yeah it's it is and like you said the focus on romance is is unique too that we don't really have that kind of thing in at least in the ghibli movies i've seen uh, so it, it feels like a very different uh sort of a film um but so much attention paid to to those details and i like what you said too about the modern life and like we we have characters going to McDonald's and like using their cell phones all the time and and like in Weathering with You they basically go on you know something similar to Reddit to sell her services or like Craigslist kind of thing like the internet is part of the stories too in, a, in an interesting way that um, yeah is, it feels very immediate and uh, yeah I really I really like that as well but yeah um, what do you think about Weathering with You Weathering with You I only saw it once and I totally loved it i wasn't as blown away as i was with your name um but and i think i quickly noticed like okay this shinkai has uh, a style that's developing and mm -hmm. some some recurring elements uh, that i'm all for they're great uh with the storytelling it was wonderfully animated of course the music was great again i think there were like you know if you take the um 
like the soundboard of the of the of the writing of the film it was almost like the that realism stuff that i was talking about with the money problems and the kind of mm-hmm. hard am i gonna like get through up. this oh depression stuff was dialed up big time a little too yeah. much for me almost you know mm-hmm. your name it was like the right amount but, but weathering with you was like almost tough and um still loved it still would highly recommend it but yeah. Yeah, not my favorite. And I, you know, I was wondering with you, I was talking with my partner, that was the first one she saw and she just Mm -hmm. loved Weathering With You so much. And I feel like this is one of those directors who's becoming one of those people, and I'll I'll reference this again later, but just like a Wes Anderson or a Tarantino, it's almost like the first great movie of theirs that you see is going to be your favorite because all the elements are there and you're just going to think, oh, this is so fresh and awesome and so yeah yeah i I have no real critiques for weathering with you other than it just wasn't as good to me i think that's a really good point but yeah weathering with you was the first one i saw as i mentioned and so it 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 has had just sort of a special place in my heart and then but then of course all the hype around your name i think i do prefer it but uh, i feel like i know weathering with you better because i had seen it twice actually then i rewatched it once to kind of prepare for this um so i've seen it a lot more times but um I think your name is a bit more ambitious with like the narrative and all of that without spoiling anything. Uh, but I think, and so I, I connect with that stuff a lot more and I think probably the romance works a little bit better as well, as much as I like the romance in, in weathering with you also. Um, yeah. Well, should we talk about Suzume and how it deviates from the norm or doesn't, uh, with regards to those two films? Cause it's sort of a, sort of a trilogy, right? It's sort of a, a I heard of some sort of a name, like, disaster natural disaster trilogy or something they sort of thematically are a piece and of course i haven't seen any of his previous films but i as i understand these three kind of stand alone um with that sort of a framework definitely yeah you tell me what angle we should go into i think the yeah the natural disaster thing is great and i think that's a good place to start because if we and again i'm just going to over and over especially with suzume um and you'll see that i I feel it's different in the in this way. I did not think this of weathering with you and your name, but with this one specifically, the Miyazaki references are just really crammed in there in great and other ways. But um, and so we look back at at Miyazaki's first uh, animated film, which was um, uh, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. And this is an ecological disaster film, like outright. Mm. Um, and it's through the, it takes the form of these giant beetles that are like roam the radioactive apocalyptic wasteland, um, but very much in line with, you know, a lot of Ghibli films feature, if not direct references to earthquakes and whatnot, like The Wind Rises. There's an incredible realism depiction of an earthquake scene in um, early 20th century Japan, as well as there's just so many references, you know, uh, Princess Mononoke being the other where it's like outright uh, natural disaster ecology, warriors, um, etc. So very much, and, and this is not because he's copying him, but because Japan experiences such a high level of, and a high amount of natural disasters. They get earthquakes all the time and thus resulting tsunamis and so it's just very much a part of the culture and i think it's great and you know without any kind of spoilers i think the notion that in this film 
like every Ghibli film. There is no real baddie. There's not a bad guy. It's kind of this chaotic force that we cannot help but, you know, struggle against, but that ultimately will wreak havoc upon humanity from time to time. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. And so speaking of like, you know, dialing up different elements, I feel like compared to the other two, this one really dials up the natural disaster stuff. Because in your name, we have, uh, you know, like a, a comet asteroid situation and then flooding and weathering with you. And in this one, it's primarily the earthquakes, but there's also mention of landslides and um, tsunamis and some other things like that. So it's, and obviously that's like the basis of the story, as you were mentioning. Um, and I actually didn't even realize it was based on tr like actual events um, before I watched it. Uh, I, I suspected because it felt like we have like the kids with their, you know, their cell phones going off that there's a, uh, an earthquake alert. Like it feels so grounded, even though we're getting into this fantasy stuff with creatures coming out of doors and all of that, but it feels so grounded in reality. And I suspected too, like these, I love the focus on abandoned places. And I thought, you know, yeah. some of these must be, based on like actual locations or like at least visually or whatever, but then read an interview that they're all like exactly real locations that they uh, set these, these, there's a few different kind of action scenes in these abandoned places with these doors that you, if you've seen the trailer, you've seen the door that um, is essentially letting through the, the worm that's been causing these earthquakes. Um, but yeah, I love the, the way that's, kind of dialed up i think another different is that the romance is dialed down big time like it's very decentralized here which i did not expect at all because the first two um are very much focused on the the romantic relationship and i really like that about them but i think this one really works exceptionally well too and deviating in that way really subverted what i expected and i uh i i don't i don't want to you know we don't have to rank them whatever but like i really like this a lot and uh like it might, I might like it more than your name. I'm not sure. I gotta, mm -hmm. I gotta watch it again, but I really like that about it. And, um, and just the narratives are kind of a bit more straightforward in a way. Cause it, with your name, again, without spoiling, we have a lot of different things going on. Weathering with you is, I, I wouldn't say it's convoluted, but it's, it's much more complex. I think than this, essentially it's kind of this, we're traveling across the country to, to do the same thing a few times. And, but the way that's told and the, all the things that are folded into that, um, it worked wonderfully for me. So, you know, if, if there was a question of, you know, did this film work for, for you? Yes. Big time for me. I'm a big, big fan of Suzume, but uh, yeah. What other things about it maybe in comparison to um, the other films do you, do you have to say? Sure. Um, absolutely. And yeah, I think to start, I would totally agree. It absolutely worked like as a pure, just, audience reaction scale i mean i was like busting yeah. out laughing i would cried a little bit i was like jaw dropped three different times just from the from the not only the visual intensity i mean it's so mm -hmm. astounding um the animation but also just the concepts that were being explored were oh my gosh they were so deep and to go into that a little bit i think I think it is interesting and, and helpful for for any of you out there who are not familiar with the history. Just a really brief overview. Yeah. 2011, um, this this earthquake struck. I forget the magnitude, but I know it was the strongest earthquake in at least a hundred years in Japan. Um, and it happened just kind of 
uh, northeast Japan, um, like 50 miles off the coast. And so not only did it cause, you know, just the, the havoc of, of, of a massively strong earthquake and all the damage that does, but then there was the resultant tsunami, um, which had waves that were as high as over a hundred feet tall. Um, mm. like you, there's all this footage from the news then of just houses, like, like 20 houses just floating and dissipating into the ocean. I mean, it just oh took entire towns away. It's really impossible to comprehend. And so not only you have the earthquake, the tsunami and all the displacement that that caused, but then the resultant, uh, nuclear meltdown at the Fukushima, uh, power plant. Mm. And that's near where I lived. And, and, you know, that stuff has really, you know, significant repercussions into the future. I lived there just two years after this happened. And I was still told to like check at a restaurant, like a sushi place to ask where the fish had come from because people didn't mm. trust fish from the nearby East coast. Yeah, and, you know, that's yeah. just one tiny example, but you had so many people, you know, just like you see in this, in this movie, um, abandoned towns, abandoned amusement mm. parts, just very, you know, just like Chernobyl, the same kind of creepy, we have to leave this place thing. So, and on that note, um, you know, not only, you know, I read something great about Shinkai saying that this event, which was so significant for, you know, in the, the effect that 9-11 had on us as a collective cultural memory and, mm -hmm. and where you were at that time, everyone who was existing in Japan and at that time felt the same way about this earthquake. It was so monumental. And Shinkai said that, you know, the youth today are already kind of like totally unaware of this earthquake. They don't really mm -hmm. remember it. And wow. so that, that really freaked him out. And, you know, much like, um, yeah, just other writers, they, he wanted to really honor and bring about a remembrance of this tragedy in a, in a way that would reach a lot of people. And so I think he absolutely succeeded. And yeah, and he's, he, and I read that he was going around the country and he saw not, not, not just through natural disaster, but also just kind of natural displacement of young people moving into the city, all these abandoned small towns and things that he just thought, Ooh, what? Oh, and, and, and he talked about how they have a, a groundbreaking ceremony in Japan when you are building a new structure. But he thought, there's never a, a ceremony for when a when a school is shut down or when a place is finished mm. using. And so I'd say that's very literally represented in kind of the mechanics of the story in such a cool way. Yeah. Um, wow. Won't go into spoilers. But yeah, I thought uh, compared to the other two movies, yeah, it's hard to compare with your name. Um, I don't know which one I'd say is better. I think this one is maybe more extravagant and more... Uh, broad in its scope, more just astounding, and there's action as well, which makes it awesome. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah I, I'm not sure how I'd compare them, but I definitely recommend it, and I think it's phenomenal. Yeah, the it's, it's it, it is it just it feels because I guess your name and weathering with you maybe it's just because I saw weathering with you first, but they they feel like a kind of a, of a piece anyway that this does have those thematic threads, but it feels like pretty different, I guess. And that, again, that's just something that surprised me about it. I want to use the word mature, but I don't, that's not a slight on the other two, but like, it feels like the tone is a little more serious. Some of that has to do with the music, which um, again, the same uh, person that's been making music for all three. Um, but here it's, um, there's not much like pop rock kind of um, 
kind of tone to that. It's much more kind of somber. And um, I love that about it as well. Again, I love the music from the other two and, and listen to them all the time. But this uh, just has that more kind of um, dark edge to it that uh, I thought was great. Although there are some some departures, like there's a jazzy chase scene piece that yeah, I is love like, that. <laughs> it's like really jazzy. Like that's a fun yes. little thing. Um, totally. but for the most part, like the smash cut to the title card and the, what, what the music does mm-hmm. there is so good. And the music and the ending yeah. and even like the, the final credits song is so good. Um, so yeah, really, really big fan of the, the music in this one, but I may be getting ahead of what we were talking about, but, um, no, sure. Sure. Yeah, I agree. I was listening to the soundtrack today and it has like, almost like I was so immersed in the film. I, all I remembered with the music at the end was it was awesome. And I, I agree. I did not remember the poppy, r- sappy, mm-hmm. you know, anime romance lyrics, which I'm all for if, uh, if it calls for it. But yeah, it was just orchestral. And then I was listening to the soundtrack today and there's like dark, almost electronic, like you're at a, you know, a house show or something. I mean, it is creepy, mm-hmm. really awesome, booming. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and, and so I read an interesting thing too about like the collaboration between uh, Shinkai and I wish I could remember his name. The the guy who do you remember off the top of your head? I can look it up really quick. Who uh, is the lead singer? The Radwimps uh, musician. Radwimps. No, I don't yeah. remember his name. Uh, but, but they've had you know quite a collaboration, and it's almost like like from what I read is uh, he'll you know write the script and then he'll. Uh, hand it over and get a few kind of song ideas and it's almost like he's getting notes he said in an interview it's like i'm getting notes on my script but in musical form and like it's actually changed the story quite a bit right Uh, like in this one for instance the the ant character tanaki i think is her name but tamaki she was less of a a presence until um the radwimps guy wrote a song called tamaki and um apparently he really connected with that character and then he brought that and then the that relationship ends up being uh really emotional and like kind of where that goes in the end i thought was great so glad that happened that's great it's a really interesting collaborative relationship they have totally yeah i i read something similar that he would actually affect the story with his input and that he would do like a he would read the script and then just go go away really quick not think too much about details of the film and just write lyrics that would come to mind Mm. like get it down first first thoughts first reaction and yeah that's that's super cool that's really cool um that lead singer's name is yojira noda and he you know writes the songs as well um so you mentioned earlier ghibli references i caught like two which i'll tell really quick and then we can hear what else that you notice because i know there's a lot more uh they mentioned by name whispers of the heart right someone when they see the cat running around so this is like Whisper of the Heart, which I've actually not seen, but I know there's a cat character. Um, and then they say the word Miyazaki, which I didn't realize is like, that's a region of the country, right? There's like a Miyazaki area, I think. Um, but yeah, I heard that. I was like, oh, Miyazaki, there you go. But yeah, what other Miyazaki things did you notice? Yeah, so many. I mean, and like I said, I'm a, I'm a, a Ghibli Miyazaki super fan. So I was delighted. It felt like, Felt like in Marvel movies when people get their Easter eggs of the characters <laughs> yeah. they know and they cheer and they, you know, oh, no one else mm-hmm. noticed that. I was, I was I mean, gleeful every time I, I saw a little homage or, or allusion to Ghibli World, um, you know, and it was, you know, I, I was noticing them. So just in a lot of the relationships, a lot of the, you know, won't go into the details of the story, no spoilers, but there's 
so many uses in different Ghibli films of people being like subverted into another, taking on another form, be it an animal or mm. an inanimate object. This is not a new idea of someone mm. being transformed into another object and then remaining that way for the majority of the film. Um, and it, it's such an interesting thing to see. But yeah, that's something that uh, happens in Howl's Moving Castle, happens in um lots of lots of ghibli moments and uh spirited away too of course mm -hmm. and so other things like you know and this is not obviously not limited to ghibli and miyazaki but just having a strong young female character is a, mm -hmm. a mainstay for miyazaki and and not only that but in this film there's just like in kiki's delivery service um there's so many beautiful moments of our protagonist who's you know a teenage uh, teenage woman who is interacting with multi-generational kind of one-on-one -on -one, uh woman-to-woman -woman contact like beautiful moments of kind of friendship and also just seeing examples of how uh, different women can live their lives in independent mm -hmm. ways and different careers she's never witnessed from her small town. You know, that happens like four times and it's just, I, it took me straight to Kiki's delivery service. There's such a good, beautiful, like older mentor, female character that the protagonist mm -hmm. meets and confides in and is a, sees as a role model. So that was very apparent to me. And then, you know, I was thinking that and all of a sudden the Kiki song comes on in the movie and I was like, what? Oh, I didn't realize. They're using the song? <laughs> and then wow. it's, it's when they're in the car and the guy had put the tape in. And mm -hmm. he was like, there's a girl and a cat. It's just like the movie. I mean, he referenced it <laughs> so on, you know, it on the oh, nose. Wow. Yeah. That's it was great. the Kiki song, um, which is beautiful. It's such a good one. And so. That's one of the ones I've seen. A lot of I moments like that. Just the ones, but yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's another uh, amazing cat character as well. Mm -hmm. But um. There were so many kind of, you know, and also the ecological stuff, like I mentioned before, is big for Miyazaki-san. But I think, you know, and then the other big one that I was really excited to notice, and, you know, again, without going into too many spoilers of this film, it's pretty much, and, and I'm really glad to say I looked up and found a quote of Shinkai confirming this, but this is heavily based on a Haruki Murakami, the Japanese novelist, uh, based on a short story by him called Super Frog Saves Tokyo. And it's extremely similar, the kind of plot, uh, the, the premise, rather, um, mm -hmm. of what they're facing and some of the elements of that story. And so it was super exciting to see that played out and expanded upon, you know, from this great short story. But um, so that was awesome. All the Ghibli stuff was awesome. And I think... This movie for me was like a perfect movie experience. I was moved. I I laughed. It was a spectacle. It was beautiful. I think literally the only thing keeping it from a five-star film for me was that these references were almost so heavy and even then directly on the head, they, you know, they said the names out loud, whisper. I feel like I'm in Whisper of the Heart. Um, that it just removed me from the universe or from the from the mm -hmm. world of the film for the for those seconds. You know, I was just so aware of the source is being called here, but that's literally my only knock. And, and otherwise yeah. I think it's such a fantastic thing. And that, you know, and when you look at Ghibli movies, my neighbor Totoro is just a twist on Alice in Wonderland. It all goes back to, you know, and 
Super Frog Saves Tokyo. The story I yeah. mentioned is just a twist on Kafka's metamorphosis. Like mm-hmm. all stories pull from and and add their little twist, their little angle, their personal touches onto it um, in a modern time. And I think that Shinkai does that incredibly well. So this wonderful movie, and I think it does honor to all the Ghibli stuff that it that it references so directly. That's great. Yeah, that's really cool. I yeah, I completely agree. Such a incredible big screen experience. You saw it on IMAX, right? Yes. And this is the yeah, like wow. I learned recently there's only there's only like 15 true IMAX theaters in the country or projectors that mm-hmm. actually show the full, you know what I'm saying, like vertical yeah, uh, I did not resolution that, wow. or whatever. It's nuts. And one of them is here in Austin, and I got to see it there. It was nuts. It was so wow. big. Definitely. Yeah. I saw it on a regular screen, but I, I almost went a second time before we recorded. I might still. I think it's still playing here. Um, if anyone hears this and it's still playing, I highly encourage you to go check it out. Uh, big screen. I, I'm, that's something that I guess in the last few years, like big screen anime, I'm going to make a, a point to make it to it because it just looks so good. Um, and yeah, this one looks incredible. Like obviously the, the huge monsters and like the big like macro stuff looks really good. Also like just the environments, like that abandoned um, theme park is so creepy and so cool. Like the way it's drawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I read a little bit about like, it's a mix of 2d and 3d animation that uh, I don't fully, I can't wrap my head around how they do that, but it, it looks really good, but also just really small things like the hair, I think in this film looks really good. Like, we see her one in the beginning, she's Preach. putting her ponytail up and then she's riding her bike and it's just flapping. And then we meet uh, the other guy. I'm trying to remember his name who has this beautiful long hair and she takes note of it. But yeah, the hair just looks amazing in this. Like there's so many little touches visually that I thought were fantastic. Obviously the images of the door and going through the door and what we like that, that whole uh, what she sees through the door, I guess is, is so gorgeous. And uh, yeah, just visually so, so good. Um, I've, as I mentioned, just story-wise really hit on, uh, on every level for me. So yeah, big fan of that. Let's see. I had a few other, just kind of random little notes to mention before we wrap up. Um, sure. just the translation stuff is fun. So I saw it in Japanese with subtitles. I almost went back a second time and saw the English dub because I was going to take my kids with me and the timing didn't work out. Uh, but I did watch when I rewatched weathering with you, uh, I watched the English dub this time because I had one of my kids with me and I was also, I don't normally do this kind of thing, but I was like, I need to get some work done, but I can like have it on. I've seen it before, but the English dub is really good of that. And that's, so I'm curious what it's like for Suzume. Um, but uh, in this one, just like sometimes uh, making note of the translations is fun because like there's a couple moments where she like just exclaims and it sounds something like nani, nani, nani. And like the subtitle says, like, what is going on or like what is even happening yeah and it, it's mm-hmm. like that's just an explanation I, I, there's someone i follow on tiktok i can't remember their name but i'll find a, a link and, and put it in the show notes uh, where her whole thing is it's it's like translation things she says in japan we don't say what are you talking yeah. about we say ah? and like she does yeah she makes it really uh, funny the way she does eh? it um yeah so i love like those kinds of like indirect translation things also something i noticed that once she's going further north, the subtitles, I think it's when she gets to the the woman who has the two small kids, but then is uh, also has the restaurant or like the club. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> she 
I think it's that segment. One of the segments they like the trend, the subtitles uh, start dropping the G's on ING words. It's like, we're waiting, mm. we're coming. Oh yeah. And I was like, I think it's country. sort of like giving us, yeah, it's a country dialect. And I thought it was a cool mm-hmm. way to put that even for, you know, I know nothing about Japanese, but um, getting those little bits was fun. Um, and then, so do you have any other final bits? Uh, so I have one thing that's spoilery that I don't know if we, maybe we can do a spoiler warning and talk about. This is sure. not, I can talk about this really quick. Just the interesting thing, this is something I've noticed in just different anime things or Japanese culture things. This idea of sealing away something dark versus, mm-hmm. I feel like in the West, we would always just destroy it. You know, like whatever, kill the monster yeah. or whatever, and it's gone. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I, I first noticed it with Zelda, actually. Um, because mm. he has you know, the master sword and it seals the darkness. It's a sword that seals the darkness. And then I heard yes. that same word in a few different places. And uh, just the other day I was watching just, uh, it was a YouTube video about like how Shintoism, um, which I know very little about, but it's, it's fascinating how it influences things like Zelda and Miyazaki movies. And uh, yeah, just that idea of sealing, I think is something that's, uh, so I don't know. I don't know if that plays into Shintoism, but um, that that certainly is here as well. I, I use that word "sealing" totally. Away, so I just made note of that. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, there's a, a yeah, anime show that, I started watching that deals with that. Go ahead, go ahead. To that to that point, yeah, it's it's definitely not a brand new idea, and I don't know if you had this video game experience. This is after we both moved away as kids, um, mm-hmm. but on PlayStation Two, Final Fantasy X. Did you get your hands I on that? I haven't played. I know it's a big okay. one, but I haven't played it. Oh, the 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 world is so crazy, but it all just kind of spoil that game. the The big baddie is this huge, colossal, recurring force. So we're in post spoiler for Suzume now, right? Uh, yeah. Let's say okay, we're a gonna little, spoil Suzume now. So bit. if you haven't watched Suzume, <laughs> pause now. We're gonna we're gonna talk about the ending. Yeah, go ahead. All right, post spoiler zone. Um, yeah, referencing the worm, the colossal worm. And, mm-hmm. and um, in, in Final Fantasy X, th- there's this thing called Sin. It is literally called Sin, and it is a giant mm-hmm. amorphous beast that essentially every decade or so, every like 10 years, it returns to wreak havoc on the land, and the summoner has mm-hmm. to wow. defeat it, and then, like you said, seal it away, but not only just seal it. And this is like one of the big reveals in the game is one of her loved ones has to be sacrificed and made into the seal, mm. which is very similar wow. to the, uh, what was the the word they used? The the key or whatever. Um, in this yeah. Movie, uh, in keystone. Is it Keystone? Keystone. Right. Right. So that was a cool throwback for me to that. But yeah, I'm sure that yeah, comes from some deep ancient, you know, uh, yeah. story. Well, the other, was. the thing I learned about Shintoism the other day was it's, more that you see it in Miyazaki, but I think it works here too. Is I think it's the idea of kami. I think I think it's K A M I is how you put it into English, but it's kind of like the spirit of a place. So like in Miyazaki, we have the soot sprites in um, Totoro, or we have like the forest sprites, and like just the idea that like nature, yeah. the 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 the, na- the spirits of these places are affected when we come, and sort of nature being out of balance or back in balance, which is something you definitely see in Zelda games, and I think here yeah. just like the the abandoned places like there's such a, a deep sadness because there's like a respect for these places are significant and so i think i think that comes mm-hmm. across a bit in this film as well totally i mean god that first time that she oh it gave me a 
Lois Lowry giver vibes, that book, mm, yeah. the giver of thinking when he tells her, you know, quick, put, think of the memories of everyone that lived here, put yourself mm, in the brains mm-hmm. of the people who yeah, lived in oh the space. Gosh, yeah. And then her brain transports to seeing just the everyday people exist there and it fades away mm-hmm. to the abandoned nature. Oh my gosh. That was one of those jaw dropping moments. I was, yeah. that was cool. And very much the giver vibes taking on, uh, being a vessel for these lost emotions or honoring yeah. these lost memories. So cool. I love that. I didn't think of the giver, but that's a perfect comparison. Um, that's great. And then now that we're in spoiler talk, just the ending, I love when anything goes like, with a younger self kind of an idea, um, which I, I was surprised by that. I guess I, I feel like I should have seen it coming because we get it. Almost, it's like the ending of Harry Potter three, almost like she, where he thinks it's his father that he's before he passes out, yeah. but then it's himself in the future, whatever. But, um, but yeah, I, I, something about like encountering an actual child version of yourself, I find so moving. And uh, I yes. thought, I thought, I feel like this movie it's like, I love the ending of your name. I like the ending of weathering with you, but I don't feel like it totally sticks the landing. And like the last mm-hmm. act of that is kind of drags a little bit, but I feel like this one really nails the ending. And um, yes. that, that final scene when she's interacting with her child self is in the way it's written. Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to sum it up. Not nearly as good as the movie is, but it's, you know, the idea of like the world's a really dark place, but there are rays of sunshine that you will hold on to. And like, it does get better basically, but the way it's written is so, so beautiful um yeah love love the ending of this i agree it immediately i know you saw this too it made me think of petite maman the uh french yeah, film mm-hmm, with the mm-hmm. literal personification of the mother or that was the mother actually but similar thing yeah, of, yeah similar. yeah uh, i like that a lot yeah we all have the our inner child is there forever that was cool and the, and the ever after that time is simultaneous and that mm-hmm. it to me that just like you're right that's a great point um prisoner of azkaban that harry realizes in that split second oh i have to be the one to encourage myself or to save myself yeah. i have mm-hmm. to step up and that's mm-hmm. what she's literally doing here she's She's saying what she needed to hear. And you know what? I didn't realize watching that. uh, I didn't realize until today that it was saying that as a kid, like the way she saw the ever after was like that child died for a moment or was on the brink of death, right? It's confusing, but yeah, I think so. so horrifying. Like, and so, yeah, dude, he does the time travel stuff really well these like multiple timeline things that are all Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. barely off like tectonic plates of time um yeah with your name it hits so well when you first realize the time difference and here i think he crushed as well i agree somersault stuck the landing like a gymnast for sure (laughs) absolutely yeah uh well there you go i think that's all i had in my my notes is there anything else you want to bring up about this film before we wrap things up looking around while you look i'll say i also love the end credits and yeah travel it's exactly that like all the traveling stuff and like you even see the map which is cool but then the credits scene is like going back and seeing all the friends she all the friends we made along the way but it really is that and like now our aunt gets to meet them as well like that's just a really special and beautiful way to end the movie yeah it is. And I know that happened in your name as well, right? But also in some Ghibli films, yeah. it just it's proof that these side characters that, yes, they're kind of on little side quests or just little moments, but like 
they really are flushed out. You see their little world in totality. You dive into it, and she's working with them, helping them, and um, it's they're fully realized. And that's what's so common thread and, yeah. and such a common thread in all these Japanese animated films is the world is fully realized. There's love and attention given to every detail, every side character. They can all thrive, and it makes it just feel so immersive and real. It makes it feel like they're out there, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Love that about this and, and really have loved talking about this film with you. Thank you so much, Dyer, for coming back on the show. Uh, we'll have to wait less time. I say this every time to every guest, but like yep, we can have yep. back sooner. So it doesn't have to be this long again. It's been like a year and a half or something. Um, but, and also we don't have to only talk when we podcast, we text all the time, but like when do we see each other face to face? We should like, that's true. Together or whatever. But I'm going to come anyway. to Arkansas again for sure. <laughs> yeah. So I need to come down there actually too. That, you do, that, man. You know, it's potentially in the works sometimes. So I'll let you know, but Please. anywho, <laughs> thank you so much. And uh, we can cut it off there and we'll have you back soon. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Such a good time. Thank you so much to Dyer for coming back on the show. It's always a pleasure, of course. Stay tuned. Next time we are planning a discussion of the new Ari Aster film, Bo is Afraid. You may know that director from films like Hereditary and Midsummer. His new one is a bit different, dark comedy, very strange film. I've watched it. I can't wait to talk about it with Andrew Bocock, who is returning for that discussion. After that, we're getting back to the Aronofsky series, so stay tuned for that. And with that, thank you so much for listening to Arthouse Garage. We've got a few years' worth of episodes now. You can hear all of those in your podcast app of choice. Our theme music is by composer Paul Hunefeld. Learn more at appallingproductions.com. If you want to support Arthouse Garage, become a patron over at patreon.com slash arthousegarage or find a link in the show notes. You can also buy an Arthouse Garage t-shirt at arthousegarage.com slash shop. If you want to support us without spending any money, leave a rating or review in your podcast app, and that is hugely helpful. Stay in the loop about Arthouse Garage and the films we're covering by subscribing to our email newsletter at arthousegarage.com slash subscribe, or you can email me directly, andrew, at arthousegarage.com. And of course, follow on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Just search at Arthouse Garage in all those places or find links in the show notes. And that will do it for this episode. Thank you again so much for listening. And until next time, keep it snob free.